Hey everybody, before we get started with this episode, I want to let you know that there are some audio issues and it will be re-recorded at a different date, but I did not want to break our consistency here, so I'm going to go ahead and release this. I love you guys and enjoy. You'll still be able to get a lot out of it, I promise. You are listening to The 1% Christian, the daily Bible study where we get together for 1% of our day. We study God's word and then we head out to the remaining 99% to do something amazing with this life that he's given us. I am Pastor J.D. Ambrosio with Sound of Heaven Church in Deer Park, New York, studying with you. I hope that you enjoyed yesterday the special study of the seven statements of Jesus on the cross. I think it's so, so important to really take note to what Jesus said uh, in that difficult time. Remember, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And often we, you know, when we're going through tough times, we don't always, uh, we speak our heart all right, right? And normally it's not gravitating toward grace and truth, but our Lord and Savior, when he was in that situation, he was all grace. And he looked down and he saw those that were persecuting him and he said, Lord, forgive them. He said, God, forgive them for they know not what they do. He looked down on his mother and on John and the others there that were mourning. And he looked on them with pity. He wanted to make sure that his mother was taken care of. And ultimately, he declared it is finished. That the debt was paid in full. And he says, into your hands, talking about the father, I commit my spirit. And if you remember how we ended off yesterday, that's proof positive that Jesus was absolutely willing to pay the full price for you and I. And the whole world probably thought that it was over. Jesus' enemies, those that declared themselves enemies to Jesus, but we know Jesus looked down at them again with grace. They must have thought they won. The evil in the world thought it won. But we know better. Because Sunday is coming. But we're going to study today at the end of John chapter 19. Is what happens after Jesus commits his spirit to the Father. And expires there on the cross. And Jesus gets a helping hand from two maybe unlikely disciples. Which will study about here in a second. But before we get started, I want to invite you to download the Sound of Heaven app. You can go to anywhere where you get your apps, whether it's Android or Apple Store. Just type in Sound of Heaven. won't be hard to find. And if you're listening anywhere where you can get podcasts, give a like, give a share, subscribe, set your notifications. All that activity really helps us to get up in front of more people. Let's take a look at what transpires after that fateful moment where Jesus puts his spirit in the hands of the Father. John 19, verse 31. Now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Why? Because it was the Sabbath leading into the the Passover. And because Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. They're more concerned about ceremonial pollution than they are about what just happened with Jesus, about an innocent man being killed, about their whole process 
being illegal. They arrested him at night. I mean, we can go down a laundry list of things that went against Jewish law in terms of how Jesus was, one, treated, arrested. Pilate gave them every opportunity to back off, and they said, no, crucify him, crucify him. So they go and petition a Pilate and say, hey, we don't want this ugly scene up during our Passover, so could you go break their legs? And the reason why they would they would do this to those that were on the cross because it quickened their death. You see, the only way that you could keep yourself alive if you were on the cross would be to lift yourself up with your legs. And if your legs are broken, you can't do that. So what you would do is you would suffocate sooner. And I mean, it's just a gruesome thing to think about. So Pilate grants him them this wish and says in verse 32, the soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man had, who had been crucified with Jesus and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Now what we're going to see in this short period of scripture are a lot of prophecies fulfilled. Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies, and the odds of one man doing that are so exorbitant. A fraction of that, I think, I forget what the number was, but it's like 10 to the 17th power. It's ridiculous. But Jesus fulfilled all of these prophecies that were spoken before him over the course of 14, 1600 years. And they get to Jesus, and he's already passed away. And this is a fulfillment of prophecy, because if you study how the Passover lamb was supposed to be did, you go back to Numbers 9, chapter, uh, chapter 9, verse 12, you go to Exodus 12, 46, it shows that the Passover lamb was not to have any of its legs broken. So you see the type and shadow here that Numbers' bones could be broken. Because he was to be the final Passover lamb. And even in Psalm 34, hiding in a cave, wrote of this in his psalm, in that song. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones, not one will be broken. So when they find that he was already dead, verse 34, it says, Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw this has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you may also believe. So the soldier pierces Jesus' side. And outflows blood and water, signifying that he was absolutely dead. Now, why did water pour out? We can look at the prophetic significance of that, right? Jesus was the living water. But the medical reason is that Jesus' body most likely was undergoing what was called, I think, pericardial and pleural effusion, where we talked about this the other day, that where the around the or those organs 
would they would be filling up with water and fluids. So when he was pierced in his side, all that water poured out. And they knew that he was dead. And it says that the man who saw this had given the testimony was true. He knows that he tells the truth and he dies so that you may believe. Verse 36. These things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones would be broken. And another scripture that says he will look on the one. They will look on the one they pierced. That was a fulfillment in Zechariah 12, 10. Those who pierced him would look upon him. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. Joseph of Arimathea was a very rich and wealthy man. And he wasn't alone in this, as you'll see. Somebody who we should recognize as well. With Pilate's permission, he came and took away the body. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who had earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. So a couple of points here. Both Joseph and Nicodemus, both very, very prominent in the community, were both secretly disciples of Jesus. I guess what we saw in John chapter 3, if you remember that interaction, Jesus says, unless a man is born of both water and of spirit, the kingdom of God. That is how to be born again, right? To be born of water physically, to be born of spirit. Born again. And obviously that had a major impact on Nicodemus because we find him here. We find both him and Joseph of Arimathea there carrying the body. He says they took him away. These prominent Jewish men, these rich men, buried Jesus themselves. And where did they bury Jesus? In the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, which is also a fulfillment of prophecy. It says at the place where Jesus was, let me back up here. It says he was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who had earlier visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds, an enormous amount of of spices and and preservation and perfumes. And again, another telltale sign of how rich Nicodemus was. Verse 40, taking Jesus's body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of limit of linen. Remember they used to wrap in the grave clothes and then place in the tomb. Just like they had done to Lazarus. At the place where Jesus was crucified in the garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which one had ever, no one had ever laid the day of preparation, and since the temple was uh, since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. So Joseph and Nicodemus they wrap him up, they put him into the tomb. And I also think that there's significance here that he was laid in a garden. The fall of man happened in a garden. 
And the fact that this tomb was in the garden also shows that our redemption happened in the garden. And up on our 1% here. And again, another prophecy fulfilled from Isaiah 53, verse 9. He was, in the, he was given a new tomb, one that Joseph of Arimathea probably had for himself. And when you were that rich and you have your tomb, you would have it carved out of stone. It would be impressive, and at least in the, in, if be impressive, that would be it. And in Isaiah 53, 9, it says, They made his grave with the wicked but with the rich at his death. Meaning, he was on the cross as if he was wicked, but in his burial with the rich, because he had done no violence, and there was no deceit from his mouth. Jesus went to the grave an innocent man. He was placed in a tomb. And we can only imagine what was going through the minds of the disciples. Was anything that they believed true? And that was absolutely, I'm sure, a very dark and confusing time. Peter is off somewhere. He denied Jesus three times. He's probably out there thinking God wouldn't forgive him. Some of them, probably at least Thomas, believing that everything that they lived for the last three years was a lie. But in that period of time, I could equate that to being in the wilderness. They had to rely on the promises of God. And all of these prophecies, and all of the words of Jesus, all the promises of Jesus, and God keeps his promises. That's what I want to meditate on as we wrap up here. God is a promise keeper. Jesus keeps his promises. And just like he kept the promise, he said, I'll be in the, just like Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days, so will the Son of Man be in the earth for three days and three nights. Jesus kept his promise. And tomorrow, I don't know what's going to happen, but we're going to check in on that tomb. And we're going to see a promise kept. Let's pray. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord. We thank you that you are a promise keeper. Help us also to keep our word, Lord God, in everything that we do. Help us in times of struggle, in times where it seems like things aren't going the way they're supposed to, to remember your promise, Lord. To never leave us, nor forsake us. To always be there. To have plans to prosper us, Lord God, in our life. And that doesn't mean that everything's going to be perfect. doesn't mean that everything is going to, some days are going to be extremely difficult. But Sunday's coming. 